Hey, this morning I want to uh, minister to you on just the thought of not my will. And um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the exact same event. And I'm going to read uh, from Mark chapter 14, uh, verses 35 and 36. It's a familiar passage of scripture to you. Um, And it reads this, verse 35. Uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says, Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Amen. Well, the last several months, we've been really talking about and discovering uh, that we're all missionaries. And uh, this might come as a surprise to you, but that we are all sent by God into the places that we live, work, and play to alert people to the reign and rule of God through Jesus Christ. That's a, I know that's a mouthful, but if you think about Scripture, you think about what Jesus said and did and how he commissions us, um, we realize that we are sent by God to alert people to the kingdom of God through Christ. And we've talked about that this is accomplished uh, not just in the words we speak, but in the actions and in how we live our lives. And every one of us growing up, I remember uh, as a teenager and going into Bible school, I would ask, man, I don't know what God's plan is for my life. What does God want me to do? And I can tell you what God wants you to do. God wants you to be a missionary to the places you live, work, and play and alert people to the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. That's his will and purpose for every single person who calls on the name of Jesus. Where you do it and how you do it, you'll discover that. God will lead you in that. What are your strengths as we're learning in the workshops? How has he geared you? Who has he drawn you to? What burden or passion has he put on your heart for a particular people group? Those things will come to the surface. But uh, God's will for you is, is to be a missionary for him. Amen. Well, here's the thing. What we've been talking about the last couple of months and uh, the reality is that we live our life in such a way that expresses hope and leads people in these kinds of things. Uh, when we start to do this, we discover the harsh reality Jesus expressed on the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. You say, a harsh reality, what is that? That there's a conflict of wills. There's a conflict of wills. Jesus said, hey, not my will, but your will. And what's Jesus saying? He's alerting like, hey, what's about to happen is not, would not be my choice. But God, this is your choice. So he's expressing and we're discovering this conflict of wills. You see, when we decide to live for God's will we find ourselves failing to do so. And I'm sure everyone in this room or everyone watching online has experienced this for themselves. You say, hey, I'm going to start loving my spouse or my kids better or differently. Or I'm going to quit a bad habit. Or I'm going to really make an effort to befriend that neighbor I have. You know, I'm going to exercise some self-control in this area of 
my life. For, hey, I'm going to live and talk differently. We make these choices, we make these decisions, we know that that's God calling us to make these things, but like a New Year's resolution, the choice is quickly in the rearview mirror as we find ourselves failing to fulfill it. Now, the world would tell you, you didn't have enough willpower. You didn't want it bad enough. Religious people will tell you, well, you didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. Either way, you're left feeling like Paul articulated. Man, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing those. I'm a wretch. Right? And feelings of failure, hopelessness, frustration begin to creep into our faith. Anyone ever been there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there has to be an answer to this because surely it's not God's desire that we live in this washing machine of frustration, hopelessness, and feelings of failure as it relates to our faith, right? I I can't believe that that's God's desire for us. So I want to chat about that that today. And first, to begin there, we've got to define what do we mean by will? What What was Jesus saying? Not my will, but your will. What is the will. In, in the English language, we use the word in a whole bunch of different things, right? Like, like you, you write out a will. That's my last uh, things I want to happen when I die. Like, that's not the will we're talking about. So, what is the will? And the will is simply this the human capacity to choose. Horses don't have wills, although it may seem like it. Animals don't. They don't have the capacity to. to think around things and to make a choice with all the different criteria. The will is simply the human capacity to choose. Yet let me tell you a very important piece here is that the will has no power to do anything in and of itself. You're like, that's not what I hear on the street, Pastor Steve. Well, we're here to talk about that today because our false understanding of the will is what leads us to our failures and our frustrations. The will in itself has no power. Let me give you an example. A car doesn't get to choose where to go or how fast to get there. It's subject to the driver. Right? And the driver has multiple influences which create its decision on which way to go and how fast. Right? You don't have multiple drivers in a car. You have one driver. Although some may argue I have a backseat driver, right? It's not really a backseat driver. It's an influencer on the driver, albeit a heavy influence, but it's still just an influence. They're not the ones in control. You have one driver influenced by many things. Some things we don't want drivers to be influenced by, right? That's why people get... uh, OUIs, they operated under the influence of something they shouldn't because it affects where the car goes and how fast it gets there. But there's other things that influence a driver, right? Like destination, skill level. I want to celebrate one of my sons just got his driver's license. I'm very proud of him. Yeah, yeah. But when he drives in the car, how he gets there is very different than how I or her's mom get there. 
level of experience difference, right? So there's lots of influences. There's uh, uh, from personalities to, to directions to destinations to all kinds of things, and, and the driver determines where it goes. And it's very similar to this example. You don't have multiple wills in your driver's seat. You have one will influenced by many things. Does that make sense? It's just one will. You don't have a conflict of wills. You don't have multiple wills and you're trying to decide which will is going to win. You have one will. You have one decision maker. You have one choice uh, maker and that's your personal will. So, what are some of the things that influence our will? Some of these things are very powerful and they're overwhelming and some of them are not. Will is what makes the choices for you on how you live, on how you act, and how you talk. What are some of the things that influence your will or your choices? I'm pulling out three major categories. There will obviously be others, but I find most things fall into these three categories. First thing that affects your will is your mind. The things that you think about. The things that you think on, because here's, here's how your mind works. The things you think on or the things you think about create emotions, and then through those emotions, you create actions or decisions. That's just how the mind works, okay? Let me give you an example how your mind works. Um, you have a particular next-door neighbor that you really don't get along with. Like every time you guys have a conversation, uh, it's a little bit grating. You really can't stand the individual. You tolerate them because they're your neighbor. Okay? You come home one day, you pull in your driveway, and you see your neighbor snooping around in your bushes, walking around your house. What, you, what do you do? What's your response? Right? Feel your elevation rising. What the heck are they doing in my yard? What is, I know they're right. You're just you're ready for a fight. Your spouse comes out of the house and tells you, "Hey, neighbor, so and so, their two-year-old child walked out the back door and they can't find him." Now, what's your response? It's different, isn't it? You're, because. Your will, your choice maker, has been influenced by the mind, what you know or what you thought. At first, I don't like this person. They're running around my bushes. What are they looking for? They're trying to steal something. They're snooping something out. Oh, their kid is missing. I'm going to jump in and help. That's why they're looking in my bushes. Maybe the kid's hiding, right? You're influenced by what you think. It changes, doesn't it? You see, our will, our choices are affected by what we think. You see this played out every single day. It creates frustrations, and I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to reveal them to you and not make opinions on. If you believe that a mask and a vaccine saves lives, or you believe it doesn't save lives, it's misinformation, is very different with what you think and how you react. And the conversations you have with people 
live or on social media or in your workplaces or what you think about certain laws being passed, right? You're very vocal. You're very, you respond very differently depending on what you believe with that information, right? So the mind is a heavy influencer on your will. Whether the information is true or false, it doesn't matter. What The point we're making here is that the mind, what you think, influences the choices, decisions, and your, and your will. Second really big category of what influences us, our body. Right? Now, Christianity, this really isn't a topic we want to talk about um, because we, you know, Jesus is our healer. We don't really have to take care of this. We can separate our body from our spirituality, right? It's all bogus. It's all bogus. Our body is a complex machine where the physical and the spiritual are intertwined deeply. You can't separate the two. They affect each other. Um, They're closely connected. Many decisions are made in our body without us even thinking about it, right? You're breathing, right? If... uh, I'm breathing at a certain pace right now. If I all of a sudden ran around the church and came back, I would be breathing heavier. I didn't consciously say, hey, body, start breathing heavier because I'm running and I need more oxygen, right? It's just a natural decision my body makes. But there are decisions that affect me that I can make, right? Think about things like hunger, thirst, or fatigue that affect the will. Anyone ever made, tried to make a decision when they're hangry? Right? It's very different than when you're not. Or, or how about, you ever gotten between a pregnant woman in the bathroom? Like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Get out of the way, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right? As soon as she's gone to the bathroom, back, yes, what did you want? She's all sweet again. You're like, what happened? The body was speaking. It was affecting the will. Like, I don't have time for you right now. I got something that has to happen. We see, this, uh, we see this in the scripture, and I want to show you uh, a scripture verse where one of the prophets uh, was afflicted by the same thing. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going old school because um, things aren't working on my tablet today, so I'm just, I'm reading. So chapter 19, starting verse 3. So this is the story of Elijah. Elijah has just been on the mountain He has stood against the prophets of Baal in dramatic way. Like, prayed to God, God came down with fire, consumed the animals, consumed everything, right? And then Ahab the king goes back and tells his wife Jezebel, who's furious, and she makes a promise, I'm killing Ahab today. This is is where the story leads up to, okay? Verse 3, Elijah was afraid. How many know if you have the most powerful woman in the world after you, it's a fearful thing. It, it could be the most powerful woman in the house. It's a fearful thing. Right? Just saying, man. You are smart to not say amen. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. 
I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Remember, he just had an all-out war with the prophets of Baal. He's been threatened by the queen, and he's run for his life. He's probably a little tired and hungry, right? And now he's moaning like a little baby. He just saw God deliver in dramatic ways. And now he's like, take me, God. I'm not fit to live. Jeez. The things that body when we're not right. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around. <laughs> I heard a few chuckles. It's- he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? We're going to stop there. The point is this. He was fatigued, he was hungry, he was thirsty, and all he wanted to do was die. He was afraid for his life and said, I'm no good, Lord, just take my life. I'm not fit to live. God came, an angel comes along and says, hey, eat something, drink something, sleep a little while. He eats, he drinks, he sleeps, he has the strength, the Lord meets him. There's a physical and spiritual connection within our bodies. You see, it relates to us today. Sometimes we want to make decisions for the Lord. We make here, we make decisions like, yes, Lord, I'm going to do this for you. But then we don't take care of our body and we don't have the strength or the wherewithal to follow through. We stay up all night, we eat junk food, we push ourselves to the limit and we wonder why we can't follow through for God. Oh, it's quiet. It's quiet. This is the one we don't like because we're like, up to the Holy Spirit, not my responsibility. I can eat Twinkies and Doritos all night, and I can drink Diet Coke or Fully Coke and blah, blah, and I can, I can work 70 hours a week, and God's still going to be there and talk to me just like normal. And I'm like, he's not going to. God's going to be talking, but your body is not going to be receiving because you pushed yourself too far. We have to take care of ourselves physically. And I'm not talking being gym rats or over-the-top crazy. There's just a, a relative amount of our physical body that influences our choices and our will. That's, this is just the point we're making. And so when your body is fatigued, when your body is hungry, when your body is thirsty, when your body is stressed, when, you've, when it's been pushed too far, it's, it's not... It's those are the things that are going to affect the will in your choices and your decision making. And most of the time, when it comes to your body, it's selfish. It's not going to think about others. It's not going to think about God. It's going to think about its self-preservation. Third area uh, of um, influence, major influence, social context. You all know this. Social context is is the where and the who we live, work, and play with, right? And every parent of a teenager 
my mom included, was concerned because she knew who I hung out with would influence who I would become. Right? As a teenager, you go, no, not true. It's not true. I can hang out with whoever I want to, and it's not going to affect me. Every parent and adult goes, oh, yes, it is. Right? We make hard choices, and we say, no, you're not going to that friend's house because we're trying to help them grow up to be responsible, well-educated people for society. And there's some groups of people that are not that. This is true for us. It doesn't change when you become adults. The social context where the people you hang around with, the, the people, the communities that you involve yourself in that you allow to imprint and influence in your life affects how you think. Let me give you an example. It's a, a funny one. And if, if, uh, if, he, Garrett, if you're watching the sermon today, I'm thinking of you. See, last week I met a missionary who just moved here from the Midwest. And we were at a, at a, a, a pastor's meeting, and he was wearing cowboy boots made with rattlesnake skins. How many know that that's a cultural influence on his will? Right? He got up in the morning and he saw those cowboy boots. He's like, I'm going to a pastor's meeting. I'm going to dress to impress. And he walked into a New England thing and everyone was like, what in the world are those? You know, like... (laughs) It's just a cultural influence. These, those things where he was raised and grew up were considered desirable. He was proud of them. And we chuckle because we're like... Oh my word, I wouldn't probably get caught dead in rattlesnake boots, right? It's a cultural influence. He grew up in an area that affected what he sees as valuable, what he doesn't see as valuable. And we all live in communities that, that teach us these things, that lead us in these things. If you've ever lived in various parts of the country, you walk and you say, man, I can't. It's a cultural shock, right? We hear this. It's a culture shock. Why? They have dif- different cultures, have different values, they have different things, and they affect the choices that you make. When, when, we're, when we're young, we call this peer pressure. Somehow we think when we pass 19 years old, it's no longer peer pressure. It's still peer pressure the rest of our lives. It gets worse. <laughs> right. Like this morning, somebody asked me if I was a Red Sox fan when Jim walked in. And I was like, I better answer yes or Jim won't be my friend anymore. <laughs> We're laughing and joking. And it's good, to, it's good to know these things because how we think about God is affected by who we hang around. Completely. So, three Three things, if you can put those up. We're influenced by the mind, the body, and our social context. You could probably come up with others, but these are three major biggies. So what do we do about this? And there's a quote I have here from uh, James Brian Smith, who's author of a book called The Good and Beautiful God, and he says this, Change is not an issue of the will at all. Change happens when these other influencers are modified. What is he saying? You don't bring changes in your life by saying, I'm going to will it into be. I made this choice, and if I want this choice bad enough, it's going to happen. 
It's garbage. It's garbage. Just because you make a choice doesn't mean that choice is going to happen. Guess what? Today's a football day, right? (laughs) Every football team that's walking on the field today is choosing to win. Only half of them are winning. Right? It's not that they don't want it bad enough. It's the influencers around them that make that choice happen. So it's, it's, a, it's a, a modifying of the, of the influences that affect the will and the, and the choice. Let's, let's look at... Let me pause there just with that so we all understand this because God gives us natural things to understand spiritual things. If a football team today... I'm sorry for those who aren't sports people. But if a football team decides it wants to win... Is that good enough? What do they have to do in order to win? They have to what? Practice. What else? They got to put in effort. What else? They got to be better. <laughs> yep. They got to play together. What else? Strategize and plan. What is Tom Brady known for? Praying? No, no, I don't know. <laughs> We hope so. <laughs> Strategy and study. <laughs> You've seen the Subway commercial? I think it's hysterical with Tom Brady in it. It's like, but you don't even eat bread. Like, he watches his diet. They watch what they rest, how they rest. They work out when it's not game day so their muscles are stronger. They practice runs so their mind just thinks right to it. There's a lot of effort that goes into their choice to win. And so when we're talking about uh, getting victory on the football team, on the football field, there are all of these influencers in that choice that are worked on and affected in order to get the victory on the field. The same is true spiritually. If you want victory in the areas that you've chosen by your will, there are peripheral Influencers that you have to work on and work towards in order for that choice to become a reality. It's the same thing. So when we start talking about what is it that we need to do in our lives, it's not a matter of salvation. It's not a matter of God's acceptance of you. It's a matter of you gaining victory in your life for the glory of God. Does that make sense? Too often we walk through life feeling like failures, that somehow God hates us or doesn't approve of us because we can't do the things that we made decisions for God to do. And, and, and the world and church looks around us and says, oh, oh, you didn't want it bad. Oh, you didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. What, these things. But the reality is no one's focusing on the modifiers. We feel like that's some sort of religious exercise to please God. It's not. It's movement and it's strengthening the arenas so that you can, you can move forward in the choices and, and accomplish, like Jesus said at the end, not my will, God, but yours. And he was able to fulfill that. In the church today, we're anemic. We, we, we have lots of will. We have lots of desire. We say, yes, God, your will, not my will. And then 
we don't even get to the end of Sunday and those choices are, they've fallen flat, right? And it's not because you didn't want it. It's not because I didn't want it. The desire is genuine. The desire is pleasing to God. The difference is we've been bought, we've been sold a lie that it's only grace that you need and you don't need to do anything else. The Bible teaches us the combination of the grace of God so that we can do the work. So what are those things? For the mind, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, very, very famous portion of scripture, right, that Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind, what you think. And then what? Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His per- good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind, what we think. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's a... That's a a practice thing to influencer the choices setting your mind on things above versus earthly things that will help you and strengthen you to gain victory in your spiritual life. And we, we could be here for a long time. What does it mean to set your mind on things above? Well, I'm glad you asked that. In, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, really in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, Chapter 7, Jesus has uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches uh, a, lot of, a lot of things. And in verse 24, he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus is saying, listen, these words that I've taught you, these are the things that you think on and put into practice. If you listen to these things I've taught you and you don't put them into practice, guess what? You're not going to gain victory. The house will crash. But if you think on them and you work to put these into practice in your life, you'll be victorious. You'll stand strong. So it's the concept in the mind. We set our minds on the things above, on the things that Christ's thoughts, his narrative, how we should live our life, his values, and we think on these things instead of the pattern that the world gives us. And when we begin to fetter out what the world gives us, we begin to take what God gives us, our mind begins to be transformed. It begins to get stronger. I can remember the first, uh, on my sabbatical, I went, um, I went to a school in Belgium, and I, I remember the first day in class, because I, I hadn't been in school class in like 25 years. And I sat down and hearing the teacher talk and taking notes for eight hours straight, my brain Oh, it hurt at the end of the day. 
I was like, oh my gosh, if somebody talks to me, I'm going to snap. Like, I just couldn't have any more input. And, and it, but as the days went on over the course of the month, that got less, and that got less, and that got less, until I could sit in an eight-hour class, take notes, ask questions, and have conversations in the cafeteria and the library afterwards, too, about it. Why? Because my brain was being strengthened by the exercise of it. And so when we set our mind on the things above, and that's consistent, it strengthens our spirit. I think you guys understand this. We change our thoughts with Christ's thoughts. So many scriptures, uh, we could be here most of the day reading them. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 24, Uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says this in uh, verse 24. Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? I mean, that could say, don't you know in football, all the players want to win, but only one gets to win? You know, run in such a way as to get the prize, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, because of this understanding, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize." What is he saying? He's not a masochist. I mean, Paul's not in the background like beating himself with whips or those kinds of things. He's saying he forces his body, he trains his body so that it, it will carry him and do the things he needs to do for the Lord. What are those things that we need to, to do in caring for and, and making our bodies come into line? Adequate sleep or rest? Proper nutrition, the right amount of exercise or stress management, right? These these are things that are necessary, especially in a a society we live in that is uh, not very active, right? Most of us sit or stand in one place or do small tasks of walking or typing um, or on the phone, but Very few of us are farmers or forest keepers or those kinds of things where you have this physical work all day long. But even at that, you still need adequate rest and nutrition. We all know how we feel when we eat a lot of junk food the next day, right? You feel a little, it feels good going down, right? Like it touches the taste buds and you're like, woohoo, right? But a few hours later, I want to take a nap, personally, or, I don't know what your normal level of sleep is, but you know that uh, in 1850, the average uh, American slept nine and a half hours a night? In 1950, it went to eight hours. By 1950, the average American was sleeping eight hours. And currently today, the average American sleeps seven. So, with all of our technology and all of our stuff, we're getting less sleep and rest. And it's having, it has an effect. Uh, when I consistently don't get enough sleep, I'm not nice to be around. 
And I'm sure that's true for, for you guys as well. You, know, you think differently, you're grumpy, you're grouchy. We just need to take care of the temple, the body that God has given us. It affects us. Lastly, in a social context, um, Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 24, says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. People say, why do I need to go to church? I don't know why I need to go to church. Jesus and I, we're fine, right? We go to church together or we gather in small communities and groups to do exactly what Hebrews says. We don't give up meeting together because we spend time together. And when you spend time in a community of people, you become like the people you hang around with. And so we gather together to rub off on each other, to remind each other that God reigns through Jesus Christ. That no matter what problems you're facing, that Jesus is there with you. A prayer that the Holy Spirit would heal you, that would walk with you, that would encourage you, that would remind you that your, your answers are found in God's word and in God thinking, not worldly thinking. Right? We, we live as a community of people worshiping, encouraging, growing, and serving together so that we all may rise up in the, as the body of Christ. We, we become a community of people that spur one another on towards godly living and becoming missionaries in the world. That's the, why we gather. That's the purpose in it. Now I know we can say, well, we worship together and it provides an opportunity for this and, and uh, you know, the collective resources and all the kind of business thinking that's out there, but the core of it is of why Hebrews talks to us about not forsaking gathering together is because you and I both know, you, there are times uh, in my life too, I've been around the community of believers a lot for, for a good number, uh, a period of time, and then for whatever reason, I wasn't at church a lot. Our thinking changes. Your heart begins to grow cold to the things of God. You stop understanding a reason why you need to pray, why you need to read your Bible. Why do I need to go to bed at a reasonable hour? It doesn't matter. Oh, all those church people, they're just gossips. They're hypocrites. They're this, they're that. And you start to, your mind starts to go down this road and next thing you know, the devil's picked you off and you're far from God. Because we need each other. We need communities. As great and as awesome as, as the, the live stream has been for those who can't be here, it provides a connection to the community of believers. There's, you can't exchange that for actual face-to-face community being with each other. And, and the difficult part is this. When we get about an hour to two hours a week to be together, and you spend the difference of that in the world around us, at your job place. Most of you work a 40-hour work week. The people at your job place are going to have influence on you. 
right? The places you love to recreate or the people you recreate with, it has an influence on you. And there's nowhere in Scripture that says you should abandon those. The reality, though, is you need to know and understand that the community that you hang around affects your will and your choices. So if, you're, if, you, if you decide that God has sent you as a missionary to a particular community of people you enjoy, like Red Sox fans need Jesus. And so do Yankees fans. Just saying. But if you feel that God has sent you to those folks, and you're, I'm joking with the Red Sox, but you know, so there's some groups of people that are pretty hardcore. They're far from Jesus. And if you feel God has sent you there, you need to really balance off spending time with godly people. A community, a men's group, a Sunday morning church where you're firmly invested in somebody's challenging you and you're living life together. Because if you're not, that side of things is going to influence you way more. We need the community. Last but not least, all of this happens in the context of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. All of this happens within the Holy Spirit's context. The Holy Spirit's living in us, affirming us, leading us, reminding us, teaching us, all those kinds of things. But we take the step forward. We have to listen and put into practice. We, we have to work on these modifiers. It's not without the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to, to come up as I wrap this up. Jesus recognized the conflict between his choice or his will and what God's was. He said, um, God, if this cup could be passed from me, see, Jesus knew what he was about to go through, and he said, hey, this really wouldn't be my choice. See, I've had lots of influencers, God. Uh, I have the influence that I can see the future. And I can see what they're about to do to me. I have the influence of knowing all things, and I know the backroom conversations that the Pharisees are having. He had the influence of past experiences with the teachers of the law around him and, and fickle disciples and all those kinds of things. And he says, I know where all of this is leading, so it's really not my choice to do this. But the biggest influencer for him was his relationship with God the Father. And he said, but not my choice, I want your choice. And our role as Christians is we will always have this, if left to ourselves, what's this choice we would make? But we want, because we believe and we know that God's choice is what's best, even if that isn't the best for the right here and immediate right now. Maybe that's the best because there's a long-term end to that. And we're willing to, to delay the, the, the present satisfaction or the present um, uh, interest for a future reward. Which for us we know is heaven, but there's also here on earth future rewards. As we say, God, not my choice, but your choice, your will. 
And the challenge today is this. How are you able to bring real change to your will or your choices for God? How can you see those things as a reality? And we can see those things as a reality as we begin to change what is influencing our will. Can you go to the next slide, guys? What is influencing your will? And this morning, as the worship team just plays the, uh, and sings the song, Jesus Messiah, I want you just to take the time here to examine that question. What is it that's influencing your will? What are the things you're thinking on? Are the things you're thinking, do they parallel with what God, with what Jesus taught? Is it similar to the Jesus narrative? Are you taking care of your body? I mean, are you just stressed to the max? Are you eating right? Are you, are you getting some kind of exercise? Are you, you know, are these things influencing your will? You don't see a way out because you're just working it. You're pushing yourself to the max. Or who are you hanging out with? What are the influences that you're allowing? Are you, you, you leave church, but then you turn on a particular news station, and man, that, those babies are feeding you. Or you listen to podcasts that are bent a certain way, and they're, man, they're talking to you, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what they're telling you is not anything to do or similar to the kingdom of God. You see, those, the social media is, not, is our new community. And those things need to be minimized and other things elevated so that you can, you can actually be victorious in your will towards God. I don't want to stand here today and tell you what you need to do and what not need to do. That's for you to examine before God through the Holy Spirit and say, what, what am I allowing to influence my will and my choices? And can I modify that so that I can be victorious in my choice for God? So please take the time as they lead the song this morning, then I'll come back and pray. Uh, if you need to, um, the goal here is to avoid distraction. So if you can do that with where you're sitting, that's fine. If you need to move yourself to a space, the altar, um, that's fine too. I just challenge you to ask this question this morning. What is influencing your will?